Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We're so excited to have you with us. Make sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the service.
I know it's early, but we are in the house of the Lord. Let us prepare to worship him this morning. Amen.
the band continues to play here this morning, I just thought it appropriate. Um, just felt kind of nudged from the Lord that there are some of us here that need more than just a song and a sermon. We need prayer. Prayer changes everything. Because prayer is inviting the one who has all the answers to the questions we're asking. He's the one that has all the solutions to the problems we're facing. And so I'm going to ask for those that are on the elder board, uh, maybe if you'd grab your spouse as well. I'm going to ask for those of you that are leaders in the church. Um, I've asked a couple of friends as well to kind of come up here and join us if you could. Um, what do you need prayer for? Your marriage. I'm going to ask Nelson and Magali if you guys would come up and pray with us and be a prayer group as well too. And here's what do you need? This morning as we sit here, there are some of you that so desperately want to get heroin out of your system and crack out of your system and, and you just can't. Guess what? Prayer changes everything. There are some of you here and your marriage is in a really rough spot and you're saying, I don't know how to change and I don't know if they know how to change. Guess what? Prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. There's some of you that are here and you're, you're looking at everything from the angle that you're a victim of your circumstance and you're a victim of those that are over you and God wants you to turn that attitude around and say, I'm not a victim, I'm a victor and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God wants to renew your perspective and shift it. I don't know what you need this morning, but I know who has the answer. And so what we're going to do is, is, is the, as the team begins to, to play, we're going to invite you just to, to V-line right up here. Just find somebody and find someones. There's some people praying together and some people praying independently, but you would find someone or someones and, and pray with them. And we'll continue this for a short bit until we feel that we've kind of met that need. But what would be sad for me as a pastor is, is that you came in here with a heavy heart and you leave with one. You come in here with a burden and you, you don't have anyone that's begun that process to bear that burden with you. That's what the Bible says, bear one another burdens. Confess your sins one to another. If you're sick, ask for the elders to bring anointing oil and pray for you and, and, and the sick will be healed. The sick will be healed, that's what the Lord says. So whatever your situation is, whether your heart, your mind, your body, your marriage, whatever it is, bring it and let us join you in prayer. There's nothing special about any of us. It's about Him. Let, let's bring God into the, into the, into the problem. And let's see if we can find a solution together through prayer. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to ask you, just get out of your seat. You just start walking.
presence this morning. We are grateful, Father, for who you are and who you were and who you're going to be in our life. Father, we pray for faith, a faith like a child, Lord, to blindly trust you, trust your promises, Father, because you're a God, you're not a God who leaves us halfway through. You're a God who begins and finishes. Father, we thank you, God, for this time. I pray for everyone who came forward to, Lord, bless them, Lord, and give the things that, they do, that the hearts desire. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray. And all just said, Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Thank you, worship team. Aren't they great today? Thank God for... We call the girls Powerpuff Girls in our team. Um, <laughs> thank them. Uh, please pray for all of us uh, so that we use our talents for the glory of God. Uh, another shout out today for the whole media team. We don't usually give shout out to you guys up there. We are only as good as they make us sound. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you media team. Uh, if this is your first time, uh, we welcome you guys. Uh, I, my name is Boaz for, for those of you who do not know me. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I've been a part of the church for I think seven, eight years, I have to count again. Um, <laughs> it's been a journey. Uh, so if this is your first time, we would like to thank you and we honor you. You would have a have lot of things to do and you would have a have lot of choices of churches these days. And you could have stayed home and watched the online service, but thank you for taking that extra step and coming to this uh, place. Um, to honor that, we would like to gift you while you're uh, leaving the church after service. Uh, please fill out the connect card that's in front of you or if you if you digital like me you can uh, scan the QR code uh, in front of, on the screen in front of you uh, and uh, that lead you to the connect card uh, online and then you can fill out a few things and while you're leaving don't forget to take the gift uh, we have a gift we have a uh, coffee mug and a few goodies there uh, Paul used to say I don't know why we're not using this Paul Paul used to say whatever you drink from it tastes like Starbucks. Yeah, I never tried it, but just put in hot water and it turns out to be hot tea. I don't know. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, we believe that I myself, when I, I meet a lot of people after service and I don't remember anyone's name the moment I leave the church. So it takes us a few weeks to get to know each other and we have this thing like take three. Uh, you come first week, uh, you see how we're doing, you come second and third week. Uh, in a row and see how we operate as a church and how the worship is, how the sermon is. If God talks to your heart and this is, if this is the place where God is leading you, we would like to invite you into our family and we have a few things next uh, and a few other programs that you can connect into and we'd like to thank you and uh, I'd like to give to Pastor Dylan for morning announcements. Have a good day. Thank you, Boaz. Thank you. Wow, what a beautiful time of worship, right? I, I loved it. I loved it. George, it's really good to see you, man. Yeah. I'm glad you're here. Um, we've been praying for Giselia. Yeah. Uh, welcome, everybody. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Dylan. I'm glad to be here with you today, and I'm the one that you can see after service. If you're a new guest, I'll be at the welcome desk. I'd be glad to say hello. I just have a couple of announcements for you as we kick things off here. First and foremost, 
uh, Jacob's Well outreach happens today after service. So if you want to be a part of that, if you want to be a part of Jacob's Well, uh, go downtown, serve people in need, share your faith. That's the time to do that. That'll be directly after service today. You can see Pastor Bertrand in the foyer. Also in the foyer after service, uh, we, we give away uh, these things called daily bread devotionals. They're free. We want you to take them. So please uh, avail yourself of that. And it's just a good thing to have something to structure your time with the Lord. Uh, my wife and I, we use a devotion every day. It's really helpful. It just shapes it, uh, gets you in God's word. So please avail yourself of that. Also, we have next class going on. Gail Provost has been teaching that, one of, uh, one of our leaders. Yeah. If you don't know Gail, well, you should go to next next week. Happens 9 to 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. And that's a great way for you to get involved and say, what's my place here? How do I get more involved? How do I serve? Because what I would hate to see is you having a gift that God's given you, but just coming here and listening to me every week when you could be using your gift and be a part of what God is doing in this church. So please, go to next. I don't care if you've been here three weeks or 300 weeks. It doesn't matter. It's the place for you to start to get involved. Next is that place, so please join that. Also, we've had, uh, we had our uh, prayer meeting this Saturday. We'll have another one this coming Saturday called Pray First. It was a beautiful time. We just had an open mic, and people just started sharing their needs and praying for one another. And what I love about it is it's not a bunch of pastors telling you what needs to happen. It's people who are seeking God together, just like we did this morning. That happens. And especially if you're a leader, I'd encourage you to be there, 9 to 10 a.m. It's an important place to be, because our church, the main stuff is prayer. We pray together, and we'll stay together. Young at Heart is a time for people 50-plus to gather, and that is happening this Saturday, January 21st, from 1 to 3 p.m. It's a time to come together, play games, eat food, make friends. That happens right here at the church. We encourage you to join that. If you're looking to meet people, plug in, get to know people, that's a great place, and uh, that happens again right here at the church. Also coming up next Sunday, everybody say next Sunday. There's a volunteer training happening after service that's led by the Tewksbury Police Department on safety training. We want to make sure our church is a safe place for our kids, and that means not just the security team, but everybody has a part to play in making that happen. So we encourage you to be a part of that. Learn how you can make our church a safer place. Tewksbury Police will be here next Sunday after service. Again, that's directly after service. We hope you can make that. Also, baptism is coming up this month. If you're new to the faith, or maybe you were never baptized, this is the time to do that. It's you taking a public step to say, I believe in Jesus, and I want to identify with him. Okay, so that's January 29th during service. Please let me know today after service at the welcome desk if you want to be baptized, and we'll tell you what you need to do. And lastly, youth convention is coming up. Uh, we're very excited to send our teenagers. We have a few signed up already. It's not too late to sign up for youth convention. Fine arts is come and gone, but youth convention is still available and open. You can talk to Pastor Kev. Pastor Kev, wave your hand for everybody. He is our youth pastor. Please talk to him after service, and he'd be glad to get you the information that you need as well. You can also, if you've missed any of these announcements, email office at ne-cc.org. And I'd be glad to get you more info on all of that as well. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Kristen for our offering. Morning, everyone. So we'd like to thank you so much for your continued giving and tithing. It's such a blessing, blessing unto the Lord and blessing to the church for your support, support of the ministries, 
support of what God is doing and blessing people and ministering to the needs. Um, we'd like to remind you of the different ways that you can give. You can give in person in the different tithe boxes uh, throughout the sanctuary. You can also give online and you can also uh, text NECC to 97,000. And I'd like to uh, read a verse of scripture to you. 1 John 3:17. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So just a reminder for us to be looking out for one another. If we have this world's goods and we see our brother in need to help, okay, to help each other out because that is expressing the love of God because God is all um, loving to his people and he takes care of his people in their needs. Amen? So let's look out for each other. Why don't we uh, just reach out to the Lord and ask his blessing upon the giver and the gift this morning. Amen. Amen. Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for providing for all of our needs, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, Lord, that you watch over the sparrow, God, and Lord, you watch over us, Jesus. And God, we just ask your blessing upon the offering, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would multiply it, God. We pray that it would take care of every need, Lord Jesus, in-house and outside of the house, Lord God. We pray for every missionary, God, that is blessed by these offerings, God, that you would take care of all of their needs, Lord Jesus, that souls would be saved and multiplied, Lord God. I pray for every giver, God, that you would bless them. Lord, those that may be discouraged, God, in their season of giving, God, I pray you would just encourage them and lift them up, knowing that their giving is not in vain, God. Lord, we just thank you and pray you bless the remainder of the service. We thank you that your presence is here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Oh, I'm good. Anybody want a microphone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no. I, I love you and all, guys, but yeah, no. I also know you. So good to be with you here. What a beautiful time of prayer, huh? So wouldn't that be wonderful if that's a regular part of what we do? Where else to get prayer than in church? And uh, this past Saturday, just a, as a reminder, we have been focusing on a month of prayer. I really believe a lot of what's happened so far and what will happen over the, the months to come is a byproduct of that time we've set aside 9 to 10 a.m. on Saturday. Bring yourselves, bring your family, bring your kids. It was beautiful. We opened up the microphone, and I just said, you know, the chances are the thing that you need an answer for, 10 other people in this church need the same answer. And it was beautiful listening to other people pour out their heart and us join together with them. And I believe that some of your problems and some of your struggles are going to be lightened and, and changed because of the prayers that have been going up here in this church, and we encourage you to join us. I'd also say real quick to the ushers and uh, those of you here, we have a handout for today. You might, might not have gotten it when you came in. It's got everything we're talking about here. If that's something you want and you just raise your hand real quick, we will get that to you, as one of my uh, pastors used to say, straight away. So if you just raise your hand, they're grabbing them right now. Keep that hand up. We'll do that. I want to talk with you today about the spiritual discipline of God's Word. And uh, the whole setup of this, I realized I, I have a misspell. Whoa, what a surprise, what a shock, huh? 
dedication to God's word, I, I was really on the it ride there. So I said, what we got, and then I threw an it on the end. So sorry about that. That was, that was not intentional. Uh, what we got, when, we were, when God said he gave us his word, what, what we got as a result of it, how did we get how we got it? Some don't want it, but the question here is, is how can we get it? And so talking about God's word, God's word, what we got. Let me pray, and I want to say thank you to every one of you watching online as well, too. I want you to know there is a chat area in there. If ever we do prayer in the future and you see that, you're able to connect with people live online and give your requests that way, and we are praying for them just as if you were here, and uh, so grateful. Uh, can I just pause for a couple more quick statements? Secondly, I just want to welcome Matt and Sienna back with their new baby girl. I told Matt he's a ladies' man. He's got four of them in his house. It's him, and uh, bathroom time is out the window for the rest of your life. Also, Sarah and Ian had their, had their baby. You see her usually singing and playing the violin, and he plays the lead guitar. And don't know if you're watching. I want you to know how happy we are for you guys and uh, grateful. And, uh, um, and also, I think it's Rhonda's birthday. Isn't it your birthday, Rhonda? Miss, er Miss Arian? Is it your birthday? Yeah? Happy birthday. Yeah. We try to stay on top of this, but I know I'm missing someone. And then you forget to miss some people, and then they're like, why do you say it's my birthday? And then you say, well, maybe we just shouldn't do that. And then you start doing it again, and you know, whatever. But, but uh, you ever hear a good mama's joke? Your mama's so old, she pre-ordered the Bible. <laughs> I just heard that one yesterday. It is an old book, but it is not just a book. And so let me pray with you as we begin here, talking about dedication to God's word and what we got as we begin there. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would just take the words of a man and the word of God, and you would change our lives, because your word is not just a book. It's spirit, it's life, your presence Lord, it's not like you're magically popping off the page. You're genuinely sitting in over our shoulder as we read it, speaking your wisdom into our life, helping us learn from the mistakes of others, helping us learn from the successes of others, helping us learn to have courage and faith and hope through what you've left us in your word. I pray that the Spirit of God would speak through his word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me start with a person, Timothy. Timothy was the Apostle Paul's pr protege, really. He was his right-hand man. He was young. He was mentoring him. And we get a window into his life because the, the epistles, there were two letters, and that's really what epistle is. It's a, it's a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. He wrote two of them. And in... Second Timothy, in a second letter to him, we, we learn that he's half Jewish. His mother's side is Jewish, and his father's side is Gentile. Now, I don't know if he was religious or if he was purely pagan. I, I don't know. So many of us, some of us in this place, were in a marriage where one of us is serving Christ and the other isn't. Some of you come from a family where someone was serving God and the other one wasn't. I'm not quite sure, but I, I think it might be safe to say that might be the possibility with him. His, he didn't share the faith of his mother, but his mother made sure that she shared the faith 
with him. And that's what made him one of the great young men in the New Testament. And I believe that every single young man, every single young woman, and every old man and old woman can be a mighty man and a mighty woman of God if we find the right person speaking over, into, and next to our life. And that's what Timothy had in Paul. And he writes to him this. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know that those whom you learned it from and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise, make you wise uh, for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, uh, and teaching in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's, here's Paul looking at, looking at Timothy, and he says, Timothy, you're not just any person. What's unique about you is that ever since you were little, your mother poured the word of God into your life. How many of you say, thank God for godly mothers? Thank God for godly grandmothers. Thank God for godly fathers and grandparents as well, too, and godly brothers and sisters. Maybe the, the person of influence in your life that brings you online now or in this place or, or whatever reference you have. You know, thank God for people who shine the light of Jesus and speak into our life. But here's the interesting thing about, about Timothy. He was raised like a Jewish kid, which meant that by the time you were 12, you had the entire first books of the Bible memorized. Now, some of you... I could give you a number, 62-54-73-8192. And I could ask you right now, what were those numbers? And you wouldn't be able to give them to me. You would ask Timothy, Timothy, finish this sentence for me. Hear, O Israel, and he would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. He is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Think about this is a people of the word. If there's one thing that we really need to grab from the Jewish community, we've we've received everything from them, their word, their worship, the Psalms of David, their, 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 their history, their lessons that we can learn from them. But we should grab the, the power and the value of God's word. In fact, in the, in the school my wife was teaching at one time, there was a young kid, when she wrote God, she wrote G-D. And the reason she did that is, is because they have such reverence for God's name that they refuse to just simply say God or Yahweh or Jehovah. In fact, oftentimes they'll use the, the, the generic name Adonai. Now, this doesn't apply necessarily to Reformed or liberal Jewish people, but to, to a really what we would call a devout group of people that are really deeply devoted to, to um, the way of, of Judaism and the way of, of the word of God and that they preserved. They had such a reverence for it. They pour it into their children. Uh, I find every single one of us will be able to answer this question the same way. Do you feel you give the word enough to your children? Do you feel you share God's word? And every single one of us would say, no, no, more and more. But don't underestimate when you're facing a problem or when you're meeting a challenge or when something that you're reading in scripture pops out to you. When you share that with your kids, don't think for a second that 
that, that that is a small influence. God's word is powerful. And he says, Timothy, I know that you've got the scriptures in you, but let me just remind you of something. They're not just a book. They're God-breathed. This is significant because this is in the New Testament, but really what he's talking to him about is an Old Testament, not a New Testament Greek word, but an Old Testament Hebrew concept, which is called ruach. Whenever it talks about the Spirit of God, it literally is wind, breath. How many of you today, at some point when you were singing a song or someone was praying for you, it was like a gentle, sweet, freeing, liberating presence of God just breezed in? That's the, that's the God-breathed presence, the Holy Spirit. And there have been seasons in my life where I tell you what, I don't always feel it, but I've learned that this thing of Christianity, you do and you let your feelings catch up with you later. And so what do I do? I do what God has given me. He's given it in his word. And he says, Timothy, all scripture is not only God-breathed, but because it's God-breathed, it is useful, it's beneficial, it is profitable. I, literally, the way that this is written, it's, it's the very fact that God breathed it, the same amazing supernatural power is equal to the fact that it therefore is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. It is one thing to go up to somebody and say, man, you need, you, you need to stop acting like that. You're acting like a jerk. Versus the Bible says, hey, better is someone who controls their own temper than one who can take a city all on their own. Scripture has this way of gnawing at you. It's, and God has a way of breathing it out. There, there's, there's authority behind not just our good ideas, but there's an authority behind the word of God. Not only that, but for correcting somebody where we can say, listen, uh, you need some boundaries in your life. Let me show you why. This is our, this is our faith, our life, and it's printed out for us here. It trains us in righteousness. God, how can I be more like you? How can I experience more of the presence of God in my life? How do I learn uh, how to make sure that I'm not tearing my house apart, but I'm building my home up? No problem. There's tons of wisdom for you and tons of examples for you throughout God's word. Some people make it a habit of reading through the Bible every year. I wish every single one of you would make that goal for yourself, that you'd aim to read through the Bible in a year, every day of your life, every year of your life, so that Sooner or later, what's amazing is, is what you missed, it hits you differently. And then what you read, all of a sudden, you're not even thinking about it, and then boom, God's spirit and God's presence brings back to you that thing that is wisdom for the moment because you allowed it to germinate inside your life. It's God's word. It's God's word. Now, there are different ways to do devotions. This was a thing I saw years ago, but like we call this Russian roulette devotions. This is not a good way for you to conduct your devotions. Lord, give me a word. Judas hung himself. Oh, that's not it. Lord, give me a word. Go and do likewise. I mean, you're going to open up to this thing, and God can speak to you like that, but What really changes 
the life of somebody who wants to be a follower of Christ, who wants to see a change in their life, is where you devour God's word. You eat it. And now, in our church, we have a couple of different ways you can do this. First of all, our church app has the ability for you, it has version built right into it, um, and you can listen to the Bible, not only do it. I was driving um, to Connecticut to see my parents, and I just went to the Book of Kings, and I just hit play. And it takes about three hours for me to get to my mother and father's, and while I was driving there, I'm like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. You, all of a sudden, I'm hearing these connections because I read little passages, but when you hear it, like a book like Kings or Chronicles spread out, I'm like, oh my goodness, this guy was so messed up. That's why his son was messed up. That's why this guy, when he changed his life, is so incredible. You know, the most pagan king and the longest reigning king in all of, of Judah, King Manasseh, he had a grandson whose name was Josiah, which was the most godliest and greatest king in Israel's history, saved, I'd say, I'd say in some ways he was a great reformer. I don't want to even compare him with David, um, but I don't know if David had anything on him. And you think about that, it doesn't matter. Listen, those of us that have grown up outside of the church, it doesn't matter how wicked your grandparents or your parents were, you can be a godly person. It doesn't matter how messed up your marriage is or how split and divided you are. You are responsible for you. And you can walk straight in a crooked world and you can shine light into darkness and you can be, and only you can keep you from God's best for your life, but you can be the greatest purpose and version of you that Jesus has created for you in this life regardless of what's going on around you. But that happens by you having a deep, dedication, and rhythm of God's word. You might say to me, and this will be true of some of you in this room, you say, I cannot read. I've got great news for you. We live in a day where you can listen to the Bible and it'll play it for you. Every single one of these apps has a play option. Dwell option is probably the best because you can listen to any accent with music in the background. I usually have violin, cello, and uh, viola playing in the background, and I have this classical. And then there's this guy from, uh, I think he's from Tanzania, and his, I forget his name, but he's like, and the word of God was. So I just want you to know, uh, those of you from Africa, I love your accents, and um, I listen to God's word. God has an African accent. And, uh, but in Dwell, you know, it, it, my ESV version, there's this Irish lady that talks. And so I hear that, and I, I'm able to listen to it there, and. So sometimes I read it, sometimes I do that, but I'm constantly taking in God's word. It's God's word. That's what we got. This is the claim that all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for all these different things, but it's God-breathed, it's God-given. It contains the very spirit of God. And I think sometimes, especially from Harry Potter hitting the scene, you know, we so equally parody things with like magic, like, you know, the word of God. But here's the thing is, is the word of God, Jesus said, I am the word. The Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Father, Spirit, Son, all three, and yet one. That doesn't make any sense to me. Neither does the fact that you're not sitting on a chair, but you're sitting on protons, neutrons, and electrons revolving at a rate of about 186,000 miles a second. Does that make sense to you? No, it's easier for you to say you've got a chair. 
But here's God's spirit. This is God's word. This is God speaking to us. If you had a message, and it was the most important message in the world, and you needed to get it out to the world, you would go out of your way to do it. But not only if it was God's word, it has to pass some tests in order for us to be able to say this is legit. Otherwise, it's just another book. What's the difference between this and the Quran or the teachings of Buddha or any of those things? There's tons of things that are different from it. So then it really is seen in how did we get what we got? What we got was this claim of God's word. Now, there's a statement that was, that's a general statement for churches. When you say you talk about the inspiration of God's word, it says that the Chicago Statement, which is one that we affirm, we affirm the, that inspiration, strictly speaking, applies to the autograph text of Scripture. That means the original version. It says, which is provided by God, can be ascertained from available manuscripts in great accuracy. We further affirm that the copies and translations of Scripture are the Word of God, to the extent that they are faithfully represent, where they faithfully represent the original. When we claim we got the word of God, well, how did we get it? If you, there, there are a handful of people in here who have, who have a background in Greek, Hebrew, or both. There are even fewer in here who've done what we have to do, which is called text criticism. If you open up the Old Testament Hebrew, the authoritative it's called the, it's called the uh, Biblica Hebraica Sutgartensia. In, the, in there, you'll have all of the Hebrew of the, the original Bible, and then on the bottom are all of these fancy little manuscripts. And it's not only true of the Old Testament, it's also true of the New Testament. The statement that we say is, is that God's word, the original autographs, are what are inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God as close as they are to the original manuscripts. Well, what are the original manuscripts? How do we even find out what they are? How are they accurate? And I'm going to move through this very quickly because I'm preaching today. I'm not teaching, but there were a couple of ways that they used to write in the ancient word. They would write in the ancient world on, ma on papyrus manuscripts, uh, papyrus. They'd basically take the papyrus plant, they'd stretch them out vertically, horizontally a couple of times, and they'd mash it and they dry it out, and that would be it. Some of the older scrolls that have survived even better were on animal hides. They'd grab the animal hides, they'd stretch them, they'd dry them out, and they would write on animal hides. In fact, the more famous version of those are the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they were found in Israel in a bunch of caves. Some of them were in bad shape, some of them were in great shape, some of them were in fragment shapes. Then later on, we start to find all of these different things called codices, they're books. Now, here's the incredible thing. A lot of people, the argument would say, yeah, God's word, right. I can't even remember my grocery list. How in the world are they going to carry God's word along with consistency? Here's the incredible thing. The oldest, if I were to point, tell you right now, the oldest version of the Old Testament. Say the Old Testament. I'm just talking about the Old Testament. I could bring you to two. There's one that's called the Aleppo Codex and the Leningrad Codex, because it it's in Mother Russia. Both of those date back to the time of the Crusades. 1,100, the Aleppo Codex is an older one. And everyone said, how can we tell that we have the original Bible? It's not accurate. 
There's mistakes. Come on, nobody can keep things going like that. It's ridiculous. And there was a lot of criticism on the Bible. And it wasn't being taken seriously, especially in the time of the Enlightenment. And then all of a sudden, in 1948, a kid throws a rock into a cave. Here's a crash, and out come the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this is why they are the greatest discovery in archaeology probably for centuries to come, is because they instantly shaved 1,350 years off of the oldest Bible we had. And guess what? It was the Bible we had. Now, there's things with text criticism. I'm not going to get into that because that'll just give you a headache. It gives me a headache talking about it, although I'm more than capable of doing it and I understand how it works. But the, the same thing is true with the New Testament. We have one that was found at Mount Sinai called the Codex Sinaiticus, and they were copying the Old Testament from Greek and the New Testament in Greek. And there's another one they found, Vaticanus, which was, and I could sit here and this stuff doesn't mean anything to you, but when I'm sitting here as a pastor and I want you to know that you know that you know that we have, a, uh, we have what we call the Word of God that is accurate, that is accurate so much so that when you misplace one and it goes silent for a thousand years you find one a thousand years earlier than that and it still lines up that's pretty accurate i threw some stuff up here just for eye candy but i have um these are dead sea scroll fragments that are here not the original but they're like replicas of them and that some of the codex that we have uh, Mark Krakow, you're probably one of the only lay people in this church that would probably be able to teach me things on this stuff, and I really respect your intellect, but this is here just, you know, this probably you look at it and be like, big deal, so what, big whoop. And here's what I want to say to you, that's right, big deal, so what, here, who cares? What did we get? We got God's word. We got God's word. How did we get it? We got it because we didn't have the original ones, but we're able to go backwards and piece this book together in such a way that a thousand plus years, almost 1,500 years, that it is consistent, that it is still in place. You might be a critic and say, I don't believe in God, but what you can't run around and do is to say, I don't think that the Bible remained accurate going back in time because it's just ridiculous, and that is incorrect, and it's back up by thousands upon thousands upon thousands of manuscript. If you have put your faith in the Word of God and somebody is telling you it's a joke, it's made up, people made mistakes, they can't remember, you could look at them and say, that's absolutely ridiculous. You need to do some research. Have you ever heard of Sinai Vaticanus? You know, you're not going to be able to do that, but it gives me great confidence to know that this isn't just some kind of made-up, make-believe kind of thing with mistakes written through it and is it what they really wrote is it what they meant to write in fact the new testament scholar bruce metzger he is like the godfather of this thing we call text criticism looking at all of these and finding the oldest one and seeing where maybe language or somebody added their own two cents to the scripture verses one he said this he said the new testament is copied with 99.5 percent accuracy and in other words what he's saying is is I can pretty much, from somebody who has studied all of the fragments, all of the manuscripts, pretty confidently say, I think 99.5% of that's right. And guess what? The places where it's 0.5% where he says it's wrong, it's stuff that doesn't even matter. It's like somebody added an extra U in there 
or somebody changed. It's little silly stuff that doesn't even matter, which means for you and I, you can pick up your translation of the Bible in English and read this with confidence and say, what we got was God's word and how we got it has maintained its purity through the centuries. That's pretty impressive. Scholarship. So what? How we got it. We got it in Hebrew, we got it in Greek, we've got it in manuscripts, we've got it in that, but we've got it in the witness stand, and you can interrogate it, and you can say to it, hey, how is this that you claim that all scripture is God-breathed? It's ridiculous. Really? All right. If God were to write a book, you would think of a couple of things of it. First of all, it wouldn't, have con- it wouldn't contradict itself. It, wouldn't, um, it would have to have supernatural aspect to it. It would have to have a unique message to it. When you look at the Bible, and when you pick it up and you read it, you're reading a book that was written on three continents, in three languages, in multiple cultures, with over 50 plus authors over thousands of years, and yet the subject of the book keeps perfect harmony with itself, not contradicting it. Not only that, not only that, but you've got the aspect of prophecy, and I I don't want to spend all day on this one, but there are 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. Over 2,000 of them have been fulfilled. Now, if I were to talk to you, I'm gonna give you math here for a second, and then probably only of you who've had trigonometry are gonna get this, but the chance of 10 prophecies about Jesus being fulfilled as the Messiah in the New Testament is 10 to the 2,000th power. That's basically a one with 2,000 zeros after it. In other words, that actually is this page right here plus 55 more pages just like it. One chance in all of these zeros of 55 pages. So how do I make that easy? Well, you gotta go with me to the great state of Texas. You fly down to the great state of Texas, cover the entire state of Texas with quarters. Take one quarter, put an X on it, bury it anywhere you want in that gigantic state. Then. Take your friend who's blind, put them in a helicopter, fly them anywhere they want over the state as long as they want. And when they say land, that they land, and they get out, and they reach down, and they only pick one quarter, and the first one that they find is that quarter with the X on it. And that is the likelihood of 10 prophecies of Jesus being fulfilled in the New Testament mathematically. You kidding me? Like. And the Bible has a track record of 2,500 prophecies being fulfilled, and I don't know what that other 500 have to do with. Probably all of you are out there like, they're all book of Revelation, and I'm listening to somebody online, and they got all the answers, and I don't know about that, but um, how we got it 
is just absolutely incredible. It's supernatural, it's, and yet it's very practical. God managed to, if you had a message and it was important and you wanted to get it to the world and you wanted to make sure that it went to every nation, tribe, and tongue and you wanted to make sure that it reached and impacted every culture and you wanted to make sure that it, the people that participated in it did it over thousands of years and that you would make sure that it would stand for thousands of more years to come and you wanted to be able to back it in such a way that you were able to look and say, this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, God-breathed word, and that you would have to come then to Peter, and Peter says it like this. He says, no scripture, no scripture. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Pause right there, pastoral moment right here. If you've got somebody you're watching on TV or you're listening to a podcast and they are always selling you that they have the secret answers to the book of Revelation and that if you just join their membership or send money to them, would you please stop listening to them? We have experts in this church, Ben Phillips in particular, but uh, we've, got, we've got a couple in this church, uh, Dave and Kristen Hodge, who have their degree in New Testament Greek and New and Old Testament languages. We've got people in this church that are experts in this. And I can tell you, so much of the stuff is just people saying, this is it. This is the interpretation. This is where it's fulfilled. And we're obsessed with a book that has to do with a tiny piece of history. And if we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, we're not even here for it anyway. What if we started focusing on how to be more like Jesus? What if we started reading the Bible for the sake of finding hope and hopelessness? What if we, instead of trying to find the answers for a period in history that we're supposed to not even be here for anyway, what if we dedicated and devoted ourselves to understand what the power and the anointing of God is, to be able to see what it is to be like Jesus, to find out what it is to change the things you want to change in your life? This book is not just any book. It is God-breathed, and no prophecy is of any private interpretation to anyone. If you don't have a community of people that are looking at it and saying, that's right, that's it, amen, that's it, then, then if the greater church as a whole is not on the page with that, you're probably listening to somebody who is just feeding you a rhythm in the times that we live in and are profiting from it. I heard somebody say something in Spanish. Now I know I'm in the spirit. Here's the truth, though. Some don't want it. Some don't want it. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 36, Jeremiah has a friend. His name is Baruch. In fact, what's amazing is, is that important people used to wear rings as their stamp. Like if you've ever seen the wax where you pour the wax and you put a stamp in there, uh, they would do this in Judaism with rings and they would tie a letter up and put the stamp from a ring imprint into the seal. We found that seal of this guy Baruch who is Jeremiah's right-hand man. I say that, why do I say that? Because the Bible's not a, a, a long time ago in a land far, far away. These are real people. We actually have stuff that shows that they really existed. And Jeremiah, they're t saying they're going to kill him. They don't want to hear from him because he's telling them that God is bringing judgment. That's how you know. If you've got a prophet that's always telling you great and wonderful things, uh, 
say, I'll make you a bet. If you're right, I will totally celebrate that. If you're wrong, we use the Old Testament method and we get to throw rocks at you till you're dead. Yeah. Deal? Thank you, swear. No. Um, but some of, the, some of the words of Jeremiah, you listen to them and you're like, man, they're harsh. They're harsh. And he said, judgment's coming. And the entire country was just no different than ours. There's nothing new under the sun. You, you're freaking out like, oh my goodness, this nation is gone. Like, welcome, welcome to the real world. It, it was the same then than it is now, just different toys and different treasures and different people and languages, but same, same junk. And Jeremiah sends Baruch to the king, and as he comes in, he reads a portion of scripture. He says, I was sent to read this, and they, they say they liked Baruch because he was a very high official, a very famous person. They said, Baruch, I like you. You read this before the king, he'll kill you. Let me take it from you, and I'll read it. And so one of the king's uh, men sheltered Baruch, which thank God they did because it probably would have cost him his life. But they walk in, and he says, uh, we, got a, we got a scroll here from Jeremiah. And he's like, more bad news, huh? Why don't you just read it? And so he starts reading the words of Jeremiah, and every time he went through a couple of columns, the king would take a knife, cut it, throw it into the fire. And then he'd read a little bit more. He'd cut it, he'd throw it into the fire until he was through the entire thing. In fact, the truth of Jeremiah's life is, is that probably one of the most faithful prophets in Israel's history, because he said the bad news all the way when nobody wanted to hear it. And eventually his reward was that he was taken as a captive dragged to Egypt and was murdered. That was his reward for being a prophet. And this world that we live in is filled with people like this. They would just assume throw God's word in the garbage. And you look back in the time of around, th right before Constantine came, this, there was an emperor, his name was Diocletian. He hated Christianity. He had Christians executed. He had them tortured. And he made a promise that he was going to wipe the Bible off of the face of the earth. He burned thousands upon thousands of copies of the Bible. And in fact, when he thought that he burnt the last version of the Bible, he set up a monument in this spot where it was done. He, he said, if, if you have a Bible and you don't give it to us, we kill you. If we find a Bible in your house, we kill you. If we find that you knew somebody that had a Bible and you didn't tell us, we kill you. And they did this giant book burning. That sounds familiar, right? World War II, Adolf Hitler, burning all kinds of things they didn't like to hear. This is, there's nothing new under the sun. They did this, and he burns the last book of the Bible, and he made a statement of this. He said, uh, well, Sam's not here, so I'm not going to say it in Latin. But uh, it means, basically, the name of Christian is extinguished. And he had a little plaque that was put on there that said, the Christian religion is destroyed and the worship of the gods of Rome are restored. And just when he thought that he wiped out the word of God and he wiped out the people of God, soon after him comes an emperor named Constantine and he says, we're going to make Christianity legal. And guess what starts getting copied all over the place? The Bible. See, men like Diocletian thought that they could, just like Jehoiakim, they could just cut it, rip it, throw it, burn it, kill it, destroy it. You can bop it, bump it, twist it, past it. You can't get rid of this book. 
It's God's word. God was watching over it through the centuries. Thousands upon thousands of people were backing behind people like this that said, we're going to destroy God's word, God's voice, God's presence. In the Renaissance, a French philosopher named Voltaire said, a hundred years from now, my death, after my death, the Bible will be a museum piece. What's ironic is a hundred years after his death, the French Bible Society set up their shop in his old home. And 200 years after he died, his book was selling for 11 cents, and Sinaiticus, one of those documents that I had mentioned, the Greek original Old New, Te uh, New Testament of the Bible, was purchased by Britain for $500,000. 11 cents, $500,000. Wiped off the face of the earth and put in a museum. He is wiped off the face of the earth, and who knows where he is to this day. Do you get that? You can't shut God up. You can't burn it out. You can't toss it out. You can't, you're not fast enough. You're not smart enough. You're not quick enough. You're, you're not evil enough. You're not able enough to stand against an omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. He wanted to give us a way that we could find the path to him and to find his wisdom and truth. And he preserved it in this book. And he said that if you read this book, I'll let this book read you and it's not just a word in print it's my word it's my presence it's my spirit I am the word and I want to breathe into your life and change you if you'll just read the word I remember when I was at Times Square Church and we had this laugh because there was this lady she would always ask people if they were reading their Bible and she went up to this guy one time and uh, and and I mean this must have been his first time at church he's like He's like, I read the Bible, I don't know. She says, do you read the Bible? And he goes, no. And she picks up her Bible, she starts hitting him in the head. She's going, read the word, brother! Read the word! Read the word, brother! He continued to read his Bible to, for years to come after that. Communist Russia, for over a century, the 20th century, the 1900s, their attempt to remove God, the persecution that took place. Right now, we think of Russia in terms of Ukraine, but throughout that country are precious, godly believers. In fact, people who suffered for their faith during the Cold War, during the time of the Iron Curtain, right up to the 1986 and the fall of, or into the into the 80s and into the 90s with the fall of the Berlin Wall. Communists attempted to eradicate religion and Stalin's purges in 36 and 37. Tens of thousands of clergy were just rounded up and shot. You think Hitler was bad killing six and a half million Jews? Stalin killed 20 million of his own people. That attempt failed. Now you might say to yourself, well, thank goodness I'm in the U.S. of A. Our founding fathers were godly people. Kinda, kinda. Thomas Jefferson wrote a two-volume book called The Philosophy of Jesus of Nazareth, The Life and Morals of Jesus. Here's the interesting thing about Jefferson. He liked the Bible so long as it agreed with how he thought. And so he said, I'm going to write my own Bible. And everywhere there was a miracle or there was something that didn't seem to line up with him, he just kind of said, let's, let's edit that out. Let's get rid of that. You know? But the truth of the matter is, is that we don't only have Thomas Edison. We have 
or Thomas Edison, Thomas Jefferson, electricity, got those mixed. Many of us, when we pick up this book, we just want to read the good news. We just want to read the good news. And when we see something that we don't like, or we don't take, we don't take a razor blade and cut out the page, we don't take white out and, and cover it up, but you know, we pick and choose. We pick and choose, we still do that to this day. I want to tell you something. How we got, what we got was God's word. How we got it was God passing it through in partnership with human beings and his divine presence watching over it, preserving it. And the Bible says in Isaiah 40, verse eight, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands firm forever and ever and ever and ever. You build your life on this book. You know how many times through history, this was out of style and culture. Every, it, it, I, I'm, I finally reached the age, I was born in 19, none of your business. And, <laughs> but I finally reached the age where I've watched several generations run their course. And it's interesting to listen to young people because you know, they're like, you just gotta understand the culture and it's just like this. And I'm like, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, yep, yep, heard this, heard this all before. This is always going to be old fashioned. This is always gonna be out of date. This is always gonna be irrelevant to culture. You know why? Because we're not of this culture. We are, not, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And God's standard, who gets to determine, listen, who gets to determine what's right and what's wrong? I watch syncretism that takes place in the academy in all kinds of colleges, Ivy League, state, in all types of different conferences like Azores that I just attended recently, all these wonderfully intelligent, incredibly minded people and so many times I listen to them and it's almost like circular reasoning of stupidity with incredible words, you know, and impressive letters after their name, but I, I understand what they're talking about, and yet, what really the problem is, is, is that you've got people that are teaching on the highest levels that do not believe in God. Do not believe in, let, let, let me word this differently. They believe in God, but they do not believe in God in the way that he has presented himself. I've sat in more conferences and colleges where I've heard people present, and they're incredible people, they're intelligent people, and they're wonderful people, but they keep saying how the Bible got it wrong. And uh, believe me, I'm not, I'm not walking into this like some, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Well, this is coming from somebody on the other side that has worked with manuscripts. My friend, I'm friends with the person and have met and spent time with the person who oversees and the curator of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Like, I, I, I'm not an idiot in this area. I, granted, I don't have the incredible school names behind me or whatever, but I, I've, got, I've been in this long enough to know. I'm really convinced that it's probably easier for me just to say it and embrace it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it there would be a much better posture for your life where you and God's word disagrees, it would be better for you to say, I must be wrong. Syncretism is a huge, forgive me if I'm using big words here, but I, I just feel led to just take a side road here. Syncretism is a huge problem in the church today. 
It was a huge problem in the time of the Bible because all of these kings, they faced these moments where they said, you know what, I don't have to worship just God, I can worship Baal. I don't have to just honor God with my life, I can totally live the way that I want. I can make myself happy through what I have and, and, and what, what I protect and what I, you know, I don't, I don't have to sacrifice, I don't have to um, walk holy and pure. I can have a mistress on the side, I can have a couple of girlfriends, I can be in uh, different types of relationships, I can re-engineer who I am and who I think I am in my identity and all this kind of crazy stuff. And God, God spoke to all of this so long ago. And it's not like he's trying to be a killjoy. It's not that he's trying to rob you and I of fun. He's trying to protect us from pain. Do you know how much pain is in the world from people who didn't put into practice and listen, maybe God, what he was saying was good, was actually for my own good? Now, understand this. I'm, as, a, as a follower of Christ, as a pastor, I don't believe that it's my job to shame and impose on somebody who does not call themselves a follower of Christ, shame them or make them be a follower of Christ through shame and guilt and demand that everybody in the United States of America follows God's word. That they're not in a covenant relationship with God. Only God can do that. This is why Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is with you, it's in your heart. He can only reign in your life as you allow him to. If you are waiting for a president that is going to make us a Christian nation, you are going to be either disappointed or you are going to embrace the Antichrist when he shows up, one or the other. All of them have been a disappointment. Some of them have done some great good. But I think about Chronicles 36, 15 and 16. Let me read this to you. The fact that some don't want it says that the Lord of their ancestors sent word to them through their messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling. But they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people and there was no remedy. If I could say this to you, the fate of our nation does not depend upon the government, and it does not depend upon the people outside of the church. It depends on the church. And I believe that there are many of us in this nation who are not listening to the warnings of God. Amos said it like this in Amos 8, 11, and 12, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea, and, from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. It is so hard. It is so easy to find a church that's, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's sexy, its music is great, its people are awesome, and it's toxic because it's just a big Christian hookup culture church. It's so hard to find a church that is making impact and preaching God's word. It's so, it, this word is central to us. This word is, is life and death to us, and it is so rare for people to be able to go up to someone and say, if I were to ask you individually and say, what was, what's, what's God been speaking to you lately? 
I wonder if you would struggle to be able to tell me what. I wonder if you have a relationship with him in such a way that you're able to hear his voice. Well, then the question then is this. All right, Pastor Paul, I'm not someone who don't want it. I want to get it. How do I get it? And I'm just going to ask the worship team to come up as I get over. I love this verse. It's a life verse for me. And you can't even read it. I can barely read it. Let me read it from the page here. This is talking about Samuel the prophet. Samuel the prophet is a child, and his mother prayed a prayer and said, Oh God, if you, if you give me a son, I will give him to you all the days of his life. And she delivers on it. She has a son, and she drops him off with the priest Eli. In fact, he was, he was an apostate priest. It's kind of amazing she would even entrust her child. Let me tell you what, you don't have to worry about the, you can't sanitize the environment, environment for your children. God sanitized paradise and Adam and Eve still blew it. A perfect environment does not create perfect kids, but she said, I'm, I'm going to keep my word, and she handed Samuel over. And one night, the presence of God began to speak to Samuel for the first time in his life. It reads like this, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall. See, right before this, the Lord was calling to him, Samuel, Samuel. And he walked out and he said, Eli, did you call me? He says, no. And then he goes back to sleep and he hears again, Samuel, Samuel. He runs out. He says, Eli, you call me? And he said, no. And it says that he perceived that the Lord was talking to the boy. What a privilege that God decides to talk to you. He wants to talk to you. He does. And he says, Samuel, when you go back in there, when you hear your name called again, don't run out to me. Just say, speak, for your servant is listening. And God begins to speak to Samuel. And this is the, the, the remainder of his life. It says that, Everyone from Dan to Beersheba, from the top and the bottom of the nation, attested that he was a prophet. And it says, And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the next chapter begins like this. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. See, there's only so deep you can go with singing and hearing preaching. Some of those depths are dug in the place of prayer and in God's word. See, God didn't reveal himself through visions. God didn't reveal himself through a good Bible teacher over him. No, it says of Samuel, the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And then Samuel had something to say. Samuel's word went out to all of Israel. God wants to speak to you so that he can speak through you. And he's saying to some of us here this morning, it's time for you to stop letting the years go by with empty resolutions. Blow the dust off of this book. Get it in audio. Let me speak to you. Well, when do you get it, Pastor Paul? You get it. You get this book. When you clean up your relationship with God, it says King Josiah, that great reformer I mentioned, 
It says that the house of God was a wreck, and it was a wreck because of his apostate grandfather and father. And he cleaned up the temple. He said, spare no expense. And they came running out with tears saying, we found the word of God. We found the word of God. You'll begin to find this book when you make a determination to say, I am going to clean my temple. I am dedicating myself to live right for God. I am committed to my Lord and I'm committed to his word and I want him to reveal himself. And all of a sudden you begin to read this book and this book begins to read you and you begin to rediscover the word of God and the voice of God with tears that the voice of God is no longer someone speaking in tongues and then someone interpreting saying, and the Lord would say to you today, I love you with an everlasting love. No, you all of a sudden get this and you start reading it and it sounds like somebody just read your life and gave you the answer and God's spirit lifts off the page and says, I know you, I watch you, I'm with you. You get it when you eat it. It says Ezekiel chapter three, it says, eat the scroll. And the Bible says that when God showed him a vision and said, eat the scroll, he ate it and he said it was like honey in my mouth. But you go to the book of Revelation, the same verse is there. The angel says to John, take and eat the scroll. And it was sweet in his mouth, but the Bible said that it turned bitter in his stomach. You'll get this book and you'll get the God of this book when you embrace a willingness to be able to eat it, whether it is sweet or whether it is bitter, and you will commit and say, I, I am the problem, God isn't the problem. I'm, I don't have to worry about being culturally relevant, I just need to worry about being God relevant. You'll get this when you realize, and this is, <laughs> this is probably one of the deeper virtues of my life, but this is probably one of the biggest problems in our culture. You will get this book when you realize and you get truth. Jesus said it like this, sanctify them by, the tr by tr your truth. Your, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Pilate, like a good pagan, says, what is truth? You know? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You are only as strong as you are honest. Craig Rochelle said that. But my goodness, our culture has a problem with saving face over letting it get slapped when it needs to be by God Almighty saying, God, I want your truth even if it shames and embarrasses me. I want the truth in my life. If you're, it, it, this whole idea of, well, that's your truth. No, that isn't how truth works. You might have your vantage point or your perspective and it's like a diamond with facets, but truth is truth. And his word is truth. We obsessed with changing our life based off of putting this book into practice. We'd get it. We'd get it if we memorize it, like Psalm 2, that the man and the woman of God delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night, like David in his song 119, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You'll get it when you realize that Jesus, when he said, it is written, you cannot say to the devil, it is written if you haven't read it. You'll get it when you realize it's eternal, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands firm forever. I could go on and on all day here, but I won't. I'm just going to close with this
last two thoughts. This comedian I was listening to recently uh, that was getting interviewed, and he said he, when he wanted to get into comedy, his mom said, I'll support you for a year. After that, you're on your own. But I want you to give it a try before you just take off the college, because that's what you want to do. And so she supported him for a year. She said, my one condition is, is that you read your Bible. She gave him his Bible. He said, all right, Mom. And he took off into the world of comedy. He would call up his mom. He said, Mom, hey, uh, I know you said you'd help me, but my rent is falling behind. She said, baby, did you read your Bible? He said, Mom, I love you. I got to go. Another month went by. He called up. He goes, Mom, said, you told me you'd help me here. I, 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 I'm needing help. It's, it's getting, my landlord's getting frustrated with me. You know? She said, baby, did you read your Bible? He said, Mom, hung up. Finally, a few months go by, he calls up, he says, Mom, enough with this nonsense. I'm getting eviction notice. I need to pay the bills. You said you'd help me. She goes, baby, did you read your Bible? And he said, oh, and he hung up. And then after he was done, he went to his Bible. He's like, oh, my goodness. And it opened, and all of these checks fell out on the floor. And there was January, February, March, April. She had pre-written all the checks for him in there. God has filled this word with answer and treasure for your life. Baby, you read his Bible. You read your Bible. I mean, read it for you. Um... The Bible says all God's days for your life are written in his book before one of them comes to be. He says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. David said, rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. God wants to change your life. What you need to change is your dedication. Your dedication to his word. To be able to say, I'm going to read this book and it's going to read me. I'll tell you, we, we read things differently. Um, I'm a professor for years. I tend to sometimes research and research and research. And sometimes I'm doing more of a, an academic endeavor than I am. But it's just how I read God's word. And then all of a sudden... God hits me, and then bam, God creates a situation where that becomes relevant. It's called seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Sometimes it's a bread meal and instant feed to your life, but most of the time, it's like seed getting sown into the ground. It's gonna take some time, but that's for, that's for food for your life at a moment and hour that God knows about and you don't. This is why we need God's word. Stand with me if you would. I'm going to let you go because I've held you. I should say I've held the people in children's ministry too long. Lord, bless them. Help them, Lord. I want you to pray with me. Dear Lord, you went to a lot of trouble to give me your book. I'm going to take the time to read it. 
I'm going to let you read me. I'm going to read it with respect. I'm going to read it when I understand it. And I'll keep reading it when I don't. Speak to me through your word. Talk to me like you did to Samuel. Reveal yourself through your word. Thank you, God. You love me. You've called me. You care for me. And you want to help me. So I open my heart. I open my mind. I open my strength. And I will open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I think this is a good time to just let us go. And I just, you know what? The hard work, cheers, this week, this night, before you put your head to bed, read God's word. Just pick a book and just start reading and let God begin to talk to you. Amen? Father, I pray your blessing on your people and I ask that you'd go with them in strength and in grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And go to ne-cc.org for all news, events, and updates. Thank you and God bless.